Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Look forward to uh, going into God's Word with you. We started Acts chapter 2 last week, which happened to be 1,990 years after the actual event. It's actually interesting. We actually have a date on that. And we understood that Jesus told his disciples that they would be empowered to be witnesses everywhere with this empowerment. The word witness in the Greek is the word martyrs, which means martyrs. Now, what in the world would you have to be and stand for something that would cost you your life? Interestingly enough, when we go into Acts chapter 2, it talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. So not only was the power of the Holy Spirit to make us witnesses or martyrs, but also it says in Acts chapter 2 that you would have the power from the Holy Spirit. The word power in the Greek is the word dudamos. It's where we get the word dynamo or generator. Now, I think back in my own life, as I've shared before, all the things that you go through in the course of a lifetime, I am so thankful for that dynamo that God put inside of me, that God wants to put inside of you to keep us going no matter what it is that happens. In other words, what we look for in a person that has had the Holy Spirit come upon them, number one, is love. Love is one of the most important things in the Bible, but again, not defined by 21st century America or the hippie movement of the uh, 1960s, but rather what the Bible says love is. So love is the most important thing. The second, I believe, is boldness to share our faith. That which would cause us to be witnesses, or in some cases, martyrs for the love of God. So when we look at this, we understand that this was a special time that Jesus, after 40 days, ascended into heaven. We find that in Acts chapter 1, as we studied before. And then we find, he said, go to the upper room and wait. Now, first of all, we want to remember something. They were all believers in Christ Jesus when they went to the upper room. They all had seen the risen Savior. They all knew who Jesus was. But God wanted to do something extra special. The Bible says that at different times, sundry times, the Holy Spirit would move on people throughout the Bible, the Old Testament. You'd find the Moseses, you'd find the Elijahs, you'd find those that were supernaturally gifted. But Jesus talked as if he was going to do it for everyone who was called by his name. Not just an occasional Moses, but now everyone that was called by the name of Christ. He said, you know how to, being of the world, know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? To those who ask. To those who ask. Okay? I think it's important. Because a lot of times people say, well, uh, um, I just believe you get everything when you get saved. I would say that that can happen, but not generally. We find it happening when Peter was preaching to the Gentiles. And the Bible says right in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on him. They began to speak with other tongues. I think that's great. 
But generally speaking, it seems to be a second work of God. The first work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is the conviction of sin. We realize that we're not what we're supposed to be. In fact, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. As Peter is preaching to those who came when they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind, when the Holy Spirit came on the, on the believers there in the upper room. It says they were cut to the heart. I believe this is the first work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. The second work of the Holy Spirit is to put that dynamo in you. And that's what we need today in the church. We're going to talk about why we need that dynamo. Because I really believe, friends, there is an attack, first of all, on Christianity. There's an attack on anything moral or decent. There's an attack on everything that the Bible says is truth. We're going to talk about why we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would come and teach us from your word. And Lord, that we would remember these words and that they are not just ink on paper, but as your word says, they are your heart, they're your life. And God, that they would come alive in our soul today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at Acts chapter 2, and again, this wonderful book in the Bible that tells us about the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we find, first of all, that the Spirit's on fire. Then we find the followers of Jesus on fire, and then we find now the boldness of fire in Peter's life. Now, remember, Peter was the guy... (laughs) And I, I'm always amazed by this because I always think we think we're more than we are. I, I, maybe that's why people like the movies or something, because they're what you think they are, they actually become. In real life, it's not so much that way. You know, I mean, you talk to the average guy watching the uh, Super Bowl, and the guy drops a ball. Down inside, we're going, I could have caught that. I don't think so. In fact, I don't even know if we'd know which way to run on the field when we got the ball. But the point is, is that we always think a little higher of ourselves than we ought to think. Now, I don't care about self-esteem, but what I do care about is Christ-esteem. What does Christ think of you? What do you think of Christ? What do you think of Jesus? Who is he in your life? Is your life being defined by the world and by your ideas? Or is your life being defined by Jesus and who he says he is and who he says we are? Peter, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'm willing to go to the cross and die with you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, before the cock crows twice, you'll have denied you know me three times. I'm sure when Jesus said that to Peter, Peter goes, eh, this is Peter you're talking to, you know? Part of the A-team, apostle, apostle team, A-team. Well, when you stop to look at it, just as Jesus said, Jesus was arrested, he was being interrogated there, and we remember different people would come up and say, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And Peter at the end, was cussing and swearing that he didn't know who Jesus was. And then the cock crowed the second time, and Peter went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says. Didn't know who he was. And I really find that Peter, again, had great zeal 
but he, you know, ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. Well, now we find him empowered by the Holy Spirit. This shy, timid Peter, this Peter that that um, said he wouldn't deny the Lord. Now we find in verse 14, when the power of the Holy Spirit had come in the upper room, the sound of a rushing mighty wind, all the uh, uh, signs as they were speaking in other tongues, not preaching sermons. I've heard people say, well, the gift of tongues was so they could go out in the world and preach uh, the gospel to every language. You don't find that in the Bible. What they were doing clearly says, Acts chapter 2, they were worshiping and glorifying God. The wonderful, they were speaking of the wonderful things of God, not preaching sermons. And they didn't understand what this meant. And they said, oh, they're drunk with new wine. He said, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. They wouldn't be that way. Peter, verse 14, chapter 2 of Acts, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, all those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's interesting that they were, the people that were in the upper room were like sauced out on the spirit, okay? I like that. Maybe some of you do need to get sauced out on the spirit. In fact, it's interesting, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, when you think about that for a minute, I call that an Ephesians 5th, by the way. You need that. Because what does a person do when they're drunk? Oh, they're happy, they're merry, they're ha ha ha, they're... Hey, you know what? When you stop to think about all the good things God has for you today... What he's done to forgive your past and the, and the hope for eternity that he's placed in us, I believe all of us have a lot to be happy about. Your past is forgiven. You have a purpose to live and a great retirement. Something that won't fade away with inflation. I like that. He says, For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's saying, this is that. Now, again, I think it's so important if we're going to be really Bible-based Christians. Now, listen, it's important. There's a difference between dogma and the Word of God. Dogma is what a church denomination teaches. And even though it's wonky in the Bible, in other words, what the church denomination teaches doesn't line up with God's word. Well, we're going to go with our denomination rather than obviously what the Bible is saying. That's weird. I host a a radio talk show. Most of you know that. I've been hosting it for several decades now. People calling in asking questions about the Bible. Unfortunately, so many ideas, cults, and bad teaching is based upon not what the Word of God says on a topic, but maybe taking one verse out of context and building a theology upon it. That's dangerous stuff. And yet we watch it over and over and over again. Because, again, the devil doesn't care If he's got to sell you a hundred truths to slip you the lie that'll take your faith away. 
I see today so many people, and I've talked to so many people who were once walking in faith, loving Jesus, born again, now involved in a cult. I go, what happened? Where did the train go off the track? Well, what happens is people don't know God's word. And so as I teach this program and I'm on it, people call in and ask questions. And it's interesting, I've had people call in that says, well, I've been a Christian for 25 years. And they'll ask a very elementary question concerning salvation. And I'm going, what have you been learning for the last 20 years? So he says here, this is that, or this is what is spoken of by the prophet Joel. One of the things we as Christians need to be aware of is non-reason religious experience. You go, Mike, whatever in the world does that mean? Well, you come into a church and people are rolling across the floor or swinging on chandeliers or knocking over rows of pews or something weird like that and saying the Holy Spirit is making them do that. Does, is that what the Holy Spirit does to a person? Well, if you read the Bible, you'll find out that is not the case. And especially if it's done the way the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 says the proper use of the gifts, of the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. That's what we want to do. So this is why he says, this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. You don't find in the Bible holy howling. You don't find holy laughter. You may have heard that terminology. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a wind of doctrine that's kind of blown out now. It's kind of over. But I'm sure it won't be long before we hear of another one because it's non-reason in that it's not in the scripture, yet everybody's doing it. And so this is why Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, you have a foundation for your faith. I have found the people that will gravitate towards the cults, even as a Christian, is because they have no real foundation. What is that foundation? The Bible says the rock is Christ. It's Jesus. He, as he said, I am the way, John 14, 6, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have a foundation for our faith. So Peter now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up and he begins to address who? Who is he addressing? I think it's really important. He wasn't really addressing those in the upper room because they all knew what Jesus said to do. Go to the upper room and wait. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. So he was addressing those that were attracted by the sound of the rushing mighty wind, being that it was Pentecost, a high holy day in the Jewish world where people all over the world would come and gather. They hear the sound of the wind. They come running up. Whatever does this mean? And then Peter, old timid Peter, now empowered, says this. This is which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it will come to pass in the last days. Now, this is interesting here. Just real quick, quick caveat. In the Bible, you will find the terminology, the last days. It can 
and oftentimes does mean at the very last few years of time of man's futile efforts to govern himself. But it also can mean any time after Jesus died on the cross, initiated into us the age of grace. No longer are we saved by the blood of bulls and goats and, and keeping the, uh, the Ten Commandments. But now we're saved because Jesus is our fulfillment or our righteous requirement for the law. Uh, Paul says we clothe ourselves in his righteousness like you put on a coat. Always remember that. We are not righteous in ourselves. In fact, the Bible says there's no good thing dwells in the flesh. You wonder why your kids can't be good? Wow, because it's an old sin nature. That's why we, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, Marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. That's why he says that. Because there's nothing good in ourselves. There's nothing righteous. There's, no, there's nothing I can do to generate righteousness. The Bible says all our righteousness is filthy rags. Pretty bad. I, I, I can't do anything. But God in me changes the motive. See, when I do something good as a worldly person, I'm doing something to make me feel better about myself. Look, I'm not so bad. As a Christian, when I do something good, I'm saying God has been good to me and I want to be good to you. Big difference. You might see a similar result in the world, but the heart is everything. And so God looks at that. So he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I like that. Not just an occasional Moses again, or a Jeremiah, or a Joshua, but now upon all of us that are called by his name. Why do we need that? Why would God want to pour his spirit upon us? Do you realize the Roman culture, very similar to ours, right before Rome fell, we're, we're almost mimicking the fall of Rome in the United States. Uh, when you look at all the issues going on, do you realize Rome or Italy? Uh, Rome was never conquered; its borders were overran. When you stop to think about our borders being overran, we have no idea what's coming across our southern border. You don't have to have a plane fly over and drop paratroopers out with guns. And walk across the southern border. You can move an entire army against the United States, like Al-Qaeda, like they have been warning us, the weapons that we left behind about a year ago, over $100 billion worth, they will be used on us in the days to come. They are walking across our southern border. Now, when you stop to think about that, this is following the exact fall of the Roman Empire. Moral decay was rampant, Nothing was absolute. There was a group of people who loved God called Christians saying, look to Jesus, and I pray today we find the same thing. Now remember, the Holy Spirit in you is like a generator. Now, again, in your car, now an alternator, the same thing, basically, you turn your lights on, the battery takes a hit. But the generator charges the battery back up again. 
When you step on your brake lights, it adds extra draw. It it does that. When you start your car, it puts a drain on your battery, but the generator charges it back up again. Do you realize as Christians, we are going to have hits in our life. People that say very cruel things to you and me because we are Christians. They will make things up about you. They will do everything they can do to discredit you. But feel not bad about that. They did the same thing to Jesus. If you can discredit the messenger, you can then discredit the message. And that's what they were always trying to do to Jesus. Why do you eat with publicans and sinners? Putting Jesus down. He said, well, the sick ones are the ones who need the doctor. And I think sometimes we have forgotten that. Even as maybe evangelical Christians, we may have forgotten while we're here. That love I spoke of earlier, one of the signs of the Holy Spirit, is that we have a love for the lost. Now, understanding a couple things, if you've been alive very long, you can become pretty embittered against people, whether you drive down blue lakes, when they signal left and turn right, or whatever the case may be, you can find that they're going to hell? God! I mean, this is an attitude that we can... But that Holy Spirit dynamo keeps reminding us that they need to go to heaven. They need to be changed. They need to hear the love of God. They need to hear the cross that Jesus died for them and he loves them. So, first of all, real ministry... And I really believe true evangelism comes from the heart of God, rooted in the Holy Spirit, in love. And I've shared this many times. If you look in the Gospels, and Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion on them. I like that. Jesus, seeing the multitudes, saying, what a bunch of cry whiny babies. No, he didn't say that. Seeing the multitudes, he had compassion on them. That is the heart of God. And it is not normal for us to be that way. It just isn't. You know, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You be mean to me, I'll ignore you. I mean, that's the way we work. God says, no, no, no. We want to go out. And though we're despitefully used, we go back with the same message. You look at how many times, as an example, Paul in the Bible was truly, truly abused because of his faith. And yet he would turn right around and go right back in. One place, it says he was stoned to death. Literally, he said, whether in the body, I don't know. Whether out of the body, I was caught up and beheld God in the third heaven. Where, where, where God lives. Not where the planets are or the atmosphere where the bird flies. The common understanding in those days for uh, the heavens. Heaven one, again, the atmosphere, birds fly. Heaven two, the heavenly bodies, planets, sun, cosmos. And then third was where the gods dwelt. And he says, I was caught up in the third heaven, beheld God in his glory. He said, I didn't know whether I died or not. But when he got up, he, he, they take him out, they stone him. And then he gets up, dusts himself off and goes right back into the same town again. You go, wow, what's that about? Well, he had a message. And he wasn't going to let a few that were chucking rocks at him stop him from what God had called him to do. That dynamo again, that love for the lost, 
and then the boldness to speak what has to be said. Now, right now we are dealing in our world as Paul did, I believe as Jesus did. Jesus dealt in the Jewish sect with more of a religious spirit. The Romans dealt more in, in bad thinking as we do today. And unfortunately, the bad thinking that is permeated throughout our society is spawned. And a lot of it, unfortunately, came out, I think, in the mid-60s. And this is where relativism really got its foothold. Relativism, relativism says there is no truth. Um, again, believers with that dynamo in you, you need this. Because if you don't, it'll wear you down. There is no truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that, in fact, there is truth. Now, in order to combat the philosophy, the idealisms in the world that are being taught in the college, now in every aspect of our society, from elementary schools clear into every, just about every TV program we watch, we find these that are based on that. Since there is no truth, this is what they will tell people, therefore, you shouldn't judge. Man, don't judge me, man. Well, okay, I won't judge you, but the Bible does. The Bible says, if we die in our sins, we will be punished forever. Ooh, I don't like to hear that. Plug your ears, you know, kind of thing. And even churches today won't talk on hell. Do you realize that Jesus spoke 11 times about hell in the four Gospels? It's a real place. But since there is no truth, then you shouldn't judge. But the Bible says we do. And it isn't our judgment. It's what the Holy Spirit says, what God's Word says about it. The world also says all truth is relative. In other words, what might be true today will not be true tomorrow. It just depends on the surroundings of of this. The next one is God doesn't take sides. I've heard this one. Who is to say what God will really accept or reject? Well, it's interesting. That's what the Bible is about. But if you don't teach the Bible, or as a Christian, we're not told to read the Bible, and we don't read it, we don't have a foundation. If we don't have a foundation, we can then believe anything. And again, going back to the first part of our message today, this is why many Christians have found themselves sucked in by the cults, because they lack a foundation. The next thing they'll tell you, there are no absolutes. There's no absolutes. Ideas of relativism... Hey, uh, there's, truth is unknowable. There's nothing absolute. Only science, this is what they'll also say, can give us truth. That's what they'll say. So you look to evolutionary science. That's, a, that's an oxymoron, by the way, like giant shrimp. Well, the problem is evolution is a religion. It's like a Seinfeld show, a show based on nothing. 
Evolution is a religion based on nothing. A couple billion years ago, lightning hit a swamp, a bunch of squiggly things started moving around. You know, all the, the whole idea that they, that they lay on you. Well, here's the problem with that. There are no transitional or transitory life forms either living or fossilized. And Darwin himself said, the problem with my theory is there are not the transitional or transitory life forms. Well, then, it's a religion. It's a faith based on nothing. And so because of that, they know it, but what they've got to do is they've got to change the idea that it is a evolutionary theory to evolutionary science. Why is that? Because science only tells us truth. Do you know in the 30s, we could never go to the moon? Oh, not because we didn't have the rocket ships to get us there, which were probably a great part of it. There was a thing called the Van Allen belt that surrounded the earth, and you could not get through the Van Allen belt. Uh, so interplanetary uh, travel, going to Mars, going to the moon, is impossible. That was science. That was truth. That was a lie. They get up there, they don't find this thing that was to prevent spaceships from going through it. So we know then that science is not reliable. But yet they, in their faulty thinking, will put that on there. The next thing they'll tell you is you can't know anything for sure. But you can. The Word of God tells us what is true and what isn't true And unfortunately, they say, well, what is true for you may may not be true for me. No, the Bible says we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. That's why we need to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Going back to Acts then, it'll come to pass that I'll, says Lord God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I... Depending on whether you're old or young, this will help you determine that. Are are you seeing visions or are you dreaming dreams? Okay. By the way, I think there's a little bit more to it than this. I think young men are have have the unction and the gumption to put a vision into motion, where I think older people dream what it should be. Just the thought. And on my maiden servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy, and that means to speak under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you may notice this in your own life as a Christian. That you'll be talking to somebody and all of a sudden the Lord will give you some ideas to talk to them about. And they're flabbergasted that they just couldn't believe that. God does this in mysterious ways. I remember we used to have church in the park on Sunday night down uh, where the band shell is. And we used to, I used to read a story like, as an example, uh, the prodigal son. 
And, and, you know, the father had two sons and the youngest son said, oh, dad, give me my half the farm. I want to go be funky and free. And so he gave him a part of the inheritance. He went out, partied it away, ends up eating with the pigs, comes to his senses. Even my dad's servants are treated better than I am. I'll go home and ask my dad if I can just have a job. He comes home. The father says, seeing him a long way off, which means he was looking for him, saw him. He ran, put a robe on him, put a finger, a ring on his finger and, and shoes on his feet. He come home completely destitute, had a big party. The older son said, you never had a party for me, dad and my friends. So what's the big deal? My good for nothing brother comes home and you throw a party for him. And the father said, your brother who was dead is now alive. Rejoice in that. We broke up into groups. There's about 30. We'd break up in about six group of five apiece. We'd get in little groups and pray and talk with each other. And, and uh, I remember that uh, one of the questions was, um, who are you in the story? One one of the guys goes, well, I feel like the older brother because I see a lot of these people do this stuff and we don't get any recognition. Somebody said, I I feel like the dad. I I feel like, you know, that um, my my kids didn't appreciate what I did for them all those years and they just want to take off and go party down. And and this one girl was there and I said, who are you in the story? And she goes, she honest to Jesus, she says, I'm the pigs. You know, I I never heard that before. It took me back. And I, I said, what do you mean? She goes, I just feel like the pigs. And I said, you need Jesus right now. And she says, yes, I do. And we prayed and she accepted the Lord right then, right there. But the word of knowledge, the word of prophecy saying, this is what you need right now, made the difference in her life. And so it says, and I will show wonders Oh, excuse me, verse, uh, we want to go back to um, verse 18. Uh, I will pour my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun will be turned to darken. By the way, this is reminiscent of the book of Revelation. And the moon to blood before the coming and the great notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think it's interesting that basically I I read this to mean that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit will be from when Jesus said in the upper room till the end of the age, God's Holy Spirit will be working with us even up, as it says in Revelation, where these exact things are mentioned like this, uh, the sun being darkened, uh, all these different uh, cataclysmic things that come out. So Peter goes on now, he says in verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst as your servant, as yourselves know, him being delivered by determined counsel and the foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death, whom God has, have, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he could be held by it. And David said, 
concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced. My tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you have made me full of joy in your presence. Wow, that's what God does. No matter what's going on on the outside, I can I can have joy now, and that's what we need. So he says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with him an oath by him that Through the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ at our, at his throne. Him seeing the, I got some shadows here and it's hard to read. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that your soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus um, died on the cross, he went down. And he preached to those in captivity, all those that were in Abraham's bosom, that died in faith where the blood of bulls and goats couldn't cover it. They were in prison. They were there. They could not get out. They couldn't go to heaven because God doesn't allow sin in their presence. And so when Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice was made, they were then allowed to go. And he says he led captivity captive. I think that's so important to understand. That the blood of bulls and goats, being a good person, will never get a person into heaven. In fact, Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there's any other way man can be saved, let this cup pass from me. And Jesus went ahead and died on the cross. Which tells me, being a good person, being a civitan, being a, 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 a you know, a, a, a community-oriented person, won't get you in heaven. It's only the blood of Jesus that gets us into heaven. So he says, Jesus, this Jesus God has raised up, of which you are witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wow, that's a different Peter than we knew before, huh? Before he was timid, he wouldn't stand up to a little slave girl around the fire when Jesus was being intimidated. Now, it says, he said, you guys did this. Wow. Now, when they heard this, They were cut to the heart. I believe this is called conviction, conviction from the Holy Spirit. And this is what causes a person to desire to repent of their sins. And that conviction is not something you can talk somebody into. It's a direct work of the Holy Spirit. So he says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do then? And Peter said to them, repent. 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, as the Lord our God will call. Notice it says this. It says, uh, be baptized in the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit came after they were baptized. So it has to be talking of a separate event, other conviction of sin. They were already convicted of their sins. What shall we do? They asked Peter. So they were convicted of their sins. He said, then you need to be baptized, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. Separate work. In fact, Paul says it in Acts 19. He says, since you believed, have you been filled with the Spirit? So as we look at this here, Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized. I believe, friends, not for salvation, but for obedience. Baptism does not save us. We remember the thief on the cross. But baptism is the first order of obedience that we do when we become Christians. That's why we have baptisms and we have uh, the list to sign up and back if you need to be baptized. Verse 39, for the promise is to you, your children, and all of you that are far off, which would be all of us, and as many who will call on, uh, uh, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his words were baptized. And that day there was about 3,000 souls added to them. Huge revival right then. And it says they continued fastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. In other words, they were hanging out a lot together. Fear came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Why did they do this? Because there was such a persecution against those who believed in Jesus by not only the Jews, but by the Romans as well, that the way they survived was to share with one another because of the present distress. Now, friends, I don't know what our world holds for us in the days to come. It doesn't look real good. I don't know why the food manufacturing plants are burning down. We've lost six since the first of the year. There's no reason for the food manufacturing plants to be burnt down unless you're trying to have another pandemic, maybe famine. I don't know. But this is real. They say food is going to get extremely expensive because the diesel fuel, the farmers need to run the tractors and to move their product to the stores. It's going to get real expensive. Also the fertilizer, all these things. We know these things. This is what the Bible has said. So we may find ourselves, we don't know, down the road with this verse, we may have to take care of one another in a way that we never dreamed possible because of the present distress that I believe is looming out there. And by the way, I listened to the thing about the now over $5 a gallon gas just about everywhere. Some places it's up to $7 a gallon. And some places they can't even get it at $7 a gallon in California. These are some real issues that are going to be fronting everybody. So being about our father's business, work for the night is coming when no one can work, I believe is so important. So it says, so continually 
daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. I really like that. From house to house. They ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily so that were to be saved. Notice it says, they sold a possession of goods, divided them among as so everyone had need. That's love, friends. That's that dynamo. And again, I don't know what the future holds, but I know they're saying that they see no end in sight. At least with the current administration, there's no end in sight. And these, I think this should concern us. Because when you stop to think, just 15 months ago, we had less than $2 a gallon gas. Now it's over $5 a gallon. You go, what, what is, what's, what's the future hold? I believe Jesus said this. When you begin to see these things, Matthew chapter 24, look up, your redemption draws eye. Friends, there's always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been pestilence. But not all at the same time. The Bible says perplexity among nations. That means problems with no way out. Can you see that? Well, I believe that we are coming to the end of an age. And we want to be about our father's business. But you can't be about your father's business if you're not born again. You see, you need Jesus in your life. You see, you need three things. A reason to live for, a faith to live by, because those things are so important, and a self you can live with. You know, a lot of people don't like themselves. In fact, some of you may even thought about suicide this week. But I want to tell you something. That is a self you can't live with. You need something bigger than you to live for. And you need a reason to live for. And again, I pray that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one that loved you so much, that died on the cross for you, that was willing to give everything so you could spend eternity with him. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. The Bible says all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And you have a brand new lease on life. That's what you need. You see, you can't get rid of your sins by getting drunk. You can't get rid of your sins by being stoned to somehow separate you from what you really are. Only God does that. That's what forgiveness is. That's what salvation is. And that's something only the blood of Jesus does. And instead of being punished for eternity for your sins. Your sins are forgiven and you'll be rewarded eternally for what you've done for him. Not just being a good person, but being a good person for the king. There's a big difference. This morning, if you're not a Christian and you need to get right with God, we're going to pray. And you can ask the Lord to come into your life right now. Next week, we'll continue in chapter 3. And we'll have a little bit of a message about fathers because, again, I think daddies are so important in this world. Do you know, real quick, if you're new here, I've shared this before, but our modern Hollywood does everything it can do to discredit dads. I don't care whether you're watching Bart Simpson. I don't care whether you're watching whatever it is. Dads are always the stupidest person in the room. You know, back in the early 60s, you had Father Knows Best, My Three Sons, even the Andy Griffith Show. Golly! But Dad always had the right answer. 
But dads don't have the right answer anymore. They're idiots. The 13-year-old smart aleck kid in the room knows way more than his father knows. Next time you watch TV, watch the way they portray fathers. Why is that? Because that's how God wants us to relate to him. So if you can destroy the father image, you can also damage that relationship between us and our heavenly father and that we have a dad in heaven that loves us. Most kids today, most of them don't even know their dad. The term family vacation doesn't mean anything because, well, my mom is with this guy this month. Last month she was with a different guy. And and so I really don't know anything about a father. You see, church, that's where you come in. You guys, that's where you inherit a bunch of kids that you don't even know, but you need to inherit them so you can be a father to them. We have a broken society today, friends. Sin has had and wreaked its havoc on us. And if you're tired of it wreaking havoc on you, today's your day. You can pray and ask the Lord to come into your life. And we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life. All those listening by radio, around the world on the internet, you can pray this as well. And let God change your life. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Empower me. To be that person you want me to be. And thank you that you rose from the dead and you gave me eternal life with you forever in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.